Hey listeners, Dr. Taryn Marie here from Flourish or Fold Stories of Resilience. If our podcast speaks to you, consider leaving us a warm review at the top of the page on Spotify or at the bottom of the page on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews and opinions mean a lot to us, and it allows us to reach more good folks just like you. All right, now on to the show. Welcome to Flourish or Fold, Stories of Resilience. I'm Dr. Taryn Marie. And on this series, we have the opportunity to hear from well-known people who tell their often surprising, lesser well-known stories of resilience. We have such an incredible individual for you to meet today, David Zamir. David started his very first business when he was 22 years old, and today at age 35, he still never went to college. He immigrated to the United States in 2013 with $600 in cash in his pocket and a debt of $200,000. He knew how to make money with his mind and his words, but when he learned to trade, these skills empowered him to create economic security by making money with his hands as well. He paid his debt back within two years and trade skills not only changed, but empowered his life. Today, David is the CEO and founder of NANA Education and Technology Platforms, which is empowering our American workers to retool their skill set and prepare for being displaced through technology, to give people a new chance at life and to learn new skills in education that will allow them to sustainably support themselves and their families. Listen in as David and I drop in and have the most incredible interview on resilience and why it's important to tell our resilient story. Welcome to all of you to our next episode of Flourish or Fold. Here we have a dear friend and colleague of mine, David Zamir. He's founded NANA Education and Technologies Platforms. And prior to this organization, at which he is currently the CEO and founder, and they have raised $28 million, he has also founded 10 other companies across four other industries. So I didn't even know this about you before. I I did a little a little searching around on the internet. So you really put the uh, you put the serial in serial entrepreneur. I tell you what, Mr. David. Thank you for having me, Tiran. It's been uh, I've been waiting for this moment for a very very long time. When you and I really get a chance to reconnect and uh, hopefully inspire some bright minds out, out there. Minds will be inspired and definitely expanded. Some minds may explode. We should probably have a warning on this episode. Like your brain might explode and in all the best ways uh, as, as, as minded, you know, because we met on, on the playa, uh, which is Spanish for beach. And what is the playa? Well, the, there, there was no water in sight on this playa because it's the, it's the hard packed, dusty earth that exists in Northern Nevada, where- the Strong currents of this specific playa 
take people places. <laughs> so true. So true. So we met on the playa at Burning Man. And right away, I was blown away, David, by your intelligence, by your presence, by your thoughtfulness, by your deep love and care for the people in your life. And you started asking me super interesting questions about life and business and how would I coach you with a particular member of your leadership team, um, all in the midst of a, a concert at Burning Man. <laughs> so we've, we've been multifaceted since the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, it was, a, it was a moment in life, you know? The reason I started to ask you so many questions is because, especially in this playa with these strong currents that take people places, you never know if you're going to see the same person again. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I think it's very much so like life. You and I met in this moment in space-time, and who knows if we'll ever have like this quality time together. So I had one moment to really ask you all of the questions that I could pull and learn from you. And I, I went for it, and I'll never regret it. I remember how impressed I was from your answers. I, uh, you left me at awe. I was like, wow, she's authentic. She's smart. She's very passionate about what she does. And you gave me practical advice that I put to use immediately. And even today, today Nana has more than 75 employees. And this moment we met, how long ago? Was it uh, three years ago, four, four years ago? It's coming up on three years. It 20, 2019. Yeah. So this moment really impacted me and I'm very grateful that life has brought us together. Yeah. Yeah. I am too. Well, and it's just been, it's been such a joy and such an honor to see Nana, you know, not only grow, but, but flourish in this time. We talked a little bit before we got on together. We're both entrepreneurs. You have extensive entrepreneurial experience, chops, street cred. And it's it's not an easy thing to be an entrepreneur. And something that you and I also shared is, you know, we're both both married. I'm newly married. And it's also not easy to be married, you know, to an entrepreneur, or at least it's not easy to be married to me. You might be very easy to be married to. You know, I think any artists, and when I think about entrepreneurship, I think about art. Any artist that really devotes herself mm -hmm. into this pure obsession to create great things in life, mm -hmm. probably don't have the resources to share ourselves with uh, as fully as we really want to mm -hmm. with other people, unfortunately. And I'm so grateful for all of the people in my life that they are patient enough and care enough for me in a way that they're like, I'm here for you when you're ready. Mm. Because without them, I won't be where I am today. Yeah. And I completely agree with you. It's not easy. And also there are many times when I feel guilty. Mm. I feel guilty that I can't really make time to hang out with people that I love so much because I prioritize my obsession and I don't even like do it like intentionally. Sometimes I just start to write something and think about an idea and it's just like three hours are gone. <laughs> mm. So cheers to all of the artists out there 
that pursue their obsession and passion, now that we have a lot of choices, it just happens. And even bigger cheers to the people in our lives, in our lives that support us to pursue this passion of ours. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. I love how you're thinking about that. Well, cheers to you and our entrepreneur friends, our conscious creators, our artists, our people that imagine and envision relentlessly a more beautiful world, a more captivating vision for what we can create up ahead. Amen. Yeah. Well, this podcast, Flourish or Fold, is about well-known people telling their lesser well-known story of challenge, change, and complexity. And so David, as you think about this journey that you've been on, tell us about a significant challenge that you've gotten to face that has really markedly formed you as the person you are today. So many of them, but I think uh, I'll tie two events together. When I was 10 years old, my parents got divorced and my father back then was my best friend. And my mom was my best friend as well. And it was uh, myself, my sister, my father, and my mom. And I remember there were a few nights that my mom, over a period of, of two years, came to my room and she's like, David, like, I'm really struggling here and I'm thinking about leaving dad. What do you say? And I'm like, mom, like, no, let's stay. Like, I love dad. I want to stay here all together. It will be fine. And I'm 80 old back then. Mm-hmm. And I grew up and I'm starting to understand things differently. And then I'm 10 years old. And I remember that my mom, or oh, nine and a half, my mom came into my room again. And that was after I saw an argument of my parents. And it was nighttime, the room was dark with a little bit of light. It was a bit cold during the winter. And my mom quietly walked into next to my bed and she's like, David, what do you say? Like, I think I'm ready to leave. And I remember I took a deep breath and I'm like, Mom, I hear you, let's do it. Wow. And the day after we were gone and I felt Dad, that I kind of like left my dad behind and chose a side. I felt very proud of my mom that she decided for herself that she wants a different path. And she took her things and we left the day after. My mom was a nurse back then, but she didn't make a lot of money. So very fast, she had, we moved to a different city 30 minutes away from Haifa to Kiryat Motkin. It was really hard because I, you know, I was 10 years old, I loved my friends and suddenly nobody understood where David went to. And we moved to a different city, rented this like small apartment. My mom didn't even have a car. So I went to school, I took the bus to go to school with my sister. And in the back of my mind, my father was like, what's going on with my father? And then my father started to come. 
to visit that sometimes, trying to convince my mom to come back because he didn't realize how much he loved her, you know, how, how big she was for him in his life. And my mom was, decided a different path for her. She decided she's not going to go for it. And I was always in the middle, sometimes hoping on phone calls. I'm like, dad, we are going to vacation. You can't come, I'm sorry. My mom doesn't really want you there. And kind of like the mitigator, myself and my sister took this role between the two of them. Mm. And then one day when I was 12 and a half years old, out of the blue, we just came back from a vacation where my dad again asked to join, but I told him that he can't because my mom wasn't ready for him to join us yet. And um, after a week that we were in south of Israel in Elat, we came back. We went to bed at 5 a.m. and I woke up at 1 p.m. to a phone call from my cousin. And uh, my cousin that my mom knows that my father died. Mm. So I think these two events really impacted who I become. And it took me many years to get to a place where I can say what I'm going to say next. Mm. And what I'm going to say next, I'm very grateful for it. I'm very, very grateful for all of these events that uh, life has put me through because that's what made me who I am today. How is it for you to say that out loud? I feel uncomfortable and a little bit of pain mm. when I talk about this time in life. And I feel guilty because I know that my mom and my sister don't feel as though they're very introverted. So, <laughs> um, I don't know how appreciative they would be if I tell this family secret. Mm -hmm. But I think that uh, many of us walk around with all these secrets and hold ourselves back from sharing our story. And I believe it's our responsibility to share our story and empower other people to share their story as well. The more we share, the more other people share. The more we deal with our pain and look within and understand how we ended up where we are today and take responsibility on the different things we went through in life, the more other people will do so. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to resilience, the ability to open this door and look within, mm -hmm. some responsibility, learn from it, cherish it, embrace it, and build on it. Mm -hmm. And I definitely, I, I still today, <laughs> 20, 23 years after continue to build on this event in, in space time that happened mm -hmm. 23 years ago. Mm. I agree with you. The story that often we most don't want to tell is the story that most needs to be told. Yes. How yes. did you get to a place where you're able to tell that story? No, the more building businesses at the end of the day, it's a projection of our soul, of who we are. So there is this dream, there is this vision, and then all of our core values and all of 
this internal energy getting projected into a product out there in the physical world. And while things really got hard the, with different businesses, I always had to find a stronger purpose, mm -hmm. a stronger why. And when I found a stronger why, that's what really allowed me to continue going through <laughs> this fire, <laughs> through, the, through the challenges, through the fear. So every challenge really allowed me to go back to why am I doing what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. Why am I doing it? Why did I put myself in this situation? Mm -hmm. And really meditating into this pain and, uh, and starting to peel these different layers into getting understand of like, oh, I'm doing it because this event in space time that happened this many years ago. Mm -hmm. I never realized this before, but there you go. This is why I'm doing it. And that's why I'm continuing to do it. And even more so, that's why I'm going to double down on what I'm doing because it's so important. I'll give you an example. So Nana, today we raised more than $28 million from some of the most incredible investors in the world. And I'm very grateful for it. And the reason why I'm doing Nana is because when my father was 35 years old, my age, he back then had the dentistry lab and his business didn't do so well. So while five years prior to that, his, build, his, build, his business flourished uh, something changed in the industry. There was a lot of supply of, uh, of, of people that were Im that immigrated from the Soviet Union to Israel. And suddenly profits uh, dropped 75%. Mm. Specific niche. And his business didn't do as well. Uh, he didn't have a Nana, my company, to come and show him a different trade he can learn and support him with economic opportunities. So he just like went into depression, he gained weight, he stopped walking out and he died at the age of 38. Mm. So not having somebody by his side to really have uh, teaching, give him a, an access to education and then access to economic opportunities. In my mind, the story that I'm telling to myself, if there was a Nana for my dad, maybe that wouldn't be the case. Mm. And when I realized that and looking into the future, we anticipate for more than 30 million Americans to lose their jobs because of technology automation. 30 million people, 30 yes. million people will lose. These, these are a lot of families that are going to be displaced. And I'm very worried of society if we won't have a platform like Nana to really show them that there are different economic opportunities in different trades and support them for the rest of their lives. And that's why I'm doing Nana. At the end of the day, we are building a Nana for the people, a company that really deliver on four main pillars, just like our parents, right? Since, our, since we were young, our parents always cared for our education. They taught us how to walk. They sent us to school, want us to gain education. They want us to have strong community that will keep us out of trouble. Mm -hmm. They wanted us to constantly be mentored by them, give us a, a warm advice, doing challenges. And then they wanted all of, the, all of that for us to have economic opportunities that will empower us to make us happy. And mm -hmm. we are really building another for the people because I wish that my father had something like that before he passed away. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's my why.
that uh, doesn't matter how challenging it was with Nana, even when I invested all of the money I had in the early days and I couldn't, I found it challenging to raise funds and I almost bankrupt because I couldn't pay the loans that I had back then. And my credit went from 780 points to 530 points at some point. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, no, I'm tired. I should just go and find a job and, and like put all of it to the side. But this why kept me going. I'm like, we have to build an enough for the people. We have to. Was there a moment looking back when things shifted, you know, from being in that moment of like, you know, I have all this debt and my credit's 500 and, you know, was there an inflection point that you look back on now that you say like, ah, that's the moment that things shifted or has it been more iterative and incremental over time? No, I think that there were many moments of shifting. I remember this one moment I struggled a lot. Like there was a delay in the account receivable in the company and I struggled to make the payroll. And then I spoke to somebody and I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm looking for help. I'm looking to raise funds from investors. That's before I decided I, I just started to raise funds back then in 2018. Till that point, I invested myself $500,000 into the company. And I remember how excited uh, Scott, our first outside investor was. And like, you know, David, like if anything, even if we one day lose this money, you need to know that this has, like we have to build this for the world. Uh-huh. And you have my blessing and go for it. And even if you lose all of my money, make Nana big or, or don't, but give it all of your best. And you know, it's the, again, it's this, the people around us that really remind us it's our most challenging times of like, hey, you got this. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember another moment, funny enough, it was also in Burning Man, Burning Man in 2019. I went to a Shabbat dinner in one of the camps. I think it's Milk and Honey, the name of the camp. And they have this beautiful Shabbat dinner and one of my friends uh, saw me in the crowd and he came to me out of the blue and he's like acquaintance of mine. And he came to me out of, out of the blue and he's putting his hand on my shoulder and he's like, David, I know how hard it is for you. Mm. I know how challenging it is for you these days. I want you to know that the tech world must do a banana there and we must pull it off for you. Like you must build Nana. And I just felt like it was just a message from the world of like, just keep going, you know? And I remember for me, there is this metaphor. I think I picked this up, this metaphor in the, as a teenager and then the commander in the Israeli Air Force. But I almost put myself in like this white box, like my subconscious and conscious. And I'm like, we are going there and doesn't matter what's going to get through our, like throw at us, if it's arrows, if, if trucks are going to try to crash into us, this passion, this inferno is going to be so strong that we are going to be blindsided to these challenges. We're going to take them into consideration. We're going to strategize against them. But then as soon as we are making a decision, it's just like pure conviction and light this strong passion, this strong inferno that is going to clear the path till we get there. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, 
there were many moments during the path mm. that people that were around me, if it's my mom, my wife, my sister, my friends, acquaintance and investors that joined the journey that really pushed me mm. to continue to, to go down the path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love we that. Can, we can't do it by ourselves. You know, you and I earlier today talked about telling our story. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that people are self-made. Yeah. I think that people are made by the sum of the interactions of, with other people we had in life and the different situations and our choices. Mm-hmm. So nobody is really self-made. So when I'm going to write my book, I'm going to call it self-made and play on these words in the sense that we are not self-made. Mm. Live our mission. We live our destiny. And just build. Mm-hmm. Just make things happen because mm-hmm. that's why I came here for, like to build. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you and I have talked quite a bit about this concept of resilience. And you're, you're very familiar with the five practices of particularly resilient people. You and I have talked about it. I've come and addressed your team. Is there a practice that most speaks to you? One of those five? As you think about that journey that you've been on? You know, I think for me, it really evolved. And the more I got emotionally mature, the more I realized that there are different elements of these five practices that showed up for me. For example, when I was a child, I dreamt about the possibility. I'm like, oh, like we struggle financially. My father passed away, we struggle financially. How great would it be one day that I'll make millions of millions of of dollars and we'll be able to take my mom to vacations and, and help her like just relax. And how great would it be if I make so much money that I can do philanthropy and, and help whatever single mom out there that needs help because it's so close to my heart. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it's really became productive per- perseverance of like, okay, like I have to like put this armor on me and go to battle and, and push through, right? I really need to make it happen. doesn't matter what's going to, to come across my way. And then I kept growing up. And when I was uh, in the army, I learned about uh, gratiosity, like gratitude and generosity, how important it is to give back and how important it is to be grateful for all of this moment. And I started our conversation today telling you that today I feel very grateful for the events mm-hmm. that I experienced between the age of nine and 12. But I wasn't grateful for it in my 20s. I, of course, wasn't grateful for it in my teens years. Mm -hmm. Right? I was sad and depressed about it and felt angry and resentful. But learning how to come with gratitude and also add generosity to it, like how can I help other people to look at it this way, really helped me. And that's when, then I went into vulnerability. Mm. Like, wait, like, okay, so I'm grateful for it. Can I really share this pain? Mm-hmm. And for me, vulnerability is the next level of leadership. You wrote about it yourself, right? Mm-hmm. About 
strong leaders are vulnerable. It took me time to like, I thought that I'm extroverted, but hey, I tell you what, like talking about emotions is the next level of being extroverted, right? It's mm-hmm. honestly be the center of the party. It's like really sharing the painful, these painful things and allowing other people to open up for us, to us. And then connection, mm. both connection, like bringing this vulnerability, like tying everything together for me is connection, showing people the win-win. Really connect, really listen, really dig into their story, understand what moves them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for me, this resilience, all of these five elements show today, and, you know, it's different levers. And sometimes I double down on the possibilities. Sometimes I double down on productive perseverance. Sometimes I double down connection. It's a package. Mm-hmm. And I don't think uh, people that have a tendency to pull one lever out of the five, I will tell you, keep at it. <laughs> there will be a time in life where you're going to be ready yourself to pull the different levers. Mm. that's what resilience is. It's not just one element, it's all of the above. Yeah, yeah. What you shared is so fascinating because what came up for me while you were talking was the fifth practice of possibility was sort of the first practice that entered your life. And I think it's the first practice that enters a lot of people's life. It's like the what if and what could we create and wouldn't it be need? And I wonder, you know, And then it's almost like vulnerability, which is the first practice, this foundational practice of like, we can't be authentic without first tapping into our vulnerability. We can't be authentic without first, you know, empathetic, without connecting with a kernel of vulnerability within ourselves. That's the foundation of resilience, but it's almost like we have to go, no, we don't have to, but we get to go on a journey, right? Where we actually start with possibility which is the last practice. And we get to this place of vulnerability, but when we think about our resilience, that's actually the foundation. I think it's a different people, different personality types, and a, no one answer for all. More so let's empower people to take the first step in what, whenever they're ready, whatever mm-hmm. makes them come. I'm such a believer in meeting people where they are. And, you know, we, we talked about this idea of how we evolve over time. You know, we're, we're never sort of the same twice. This moment of like coming together, meeting someone, being in that moment and not knowing, certainly that moment will never come again, but also not knowing if paths will ever cross again, right? And even if the path will cross, like, who knows if you and I would be the same person we were three years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm not the same person I was three years ago, mm. right? What I knew back then, it's different than what I know today. Mm-hmm. It means that I interacted with a version of yours three years ago that also had different, what's the word? attention mm-hmm. right you gave me your full attention mm-hmm. who knows if next time that we meet maybe we'll be surrounded in a party with 40 people mm-hmm. right maybe you'll be in a rush to catch your airplane that happened it happened exactly 
maybe in being a rush to catch your airplane and then we won't be able to connect in the same depth that we were yeah. back yeah. in the playa. So, so yeah, so I, whenever I get a chance to really like have eye connection with people, I want to learn about them. I want to be vulnerable because it enables them to be vulnerable as well. It enables me to learn what they learned. My wife has this business called Conscious, Conscious Conversations. She sells this uh, deck of cards. And it's all about that, right? It's all about inspiring people to really ask hard questions that usually you won't ask. Mm-hmm. For example, you ask me, what are some adversity you've been, you faced in life that made you who you are today? That's not an easy question to ask. Mm-hmm. And in some settings, people say, oh, like, Jesus, move away. I don't want to talk to you. Like, let's talk about weather and let's talk about sport. And uh, that's what I, so that's what makes her project so dear and close to my heart because these cards kind of like enable people to break their uncomfortableness of asking these questions themselves. Mm. So let's enable people and empower them to ask their hard questions and really get to know other human beings and really expose ourselves, expose the earth behind the layers of labor, the labels that we decided to wear day to day. What's one of your favorite questions from Conscious Conversations? And one of them, yeah, one how, of, how would you like to answer it for us? Oh, fascinating. I think that uh, one of my uh, favorite questions is what your current version, if you were an opportunity to, to share these lessons, what you know today with your younger, your younger self, what would you say? Mm. What would you say to your younger self? For me, this question is uh, so impactful because I was very intervened when my parents went through the divorce. And of course, after my father died, and I remember I pretended like everything is okay. When my mom came to me and she's like, David, are you okay? Like, do you want to talk? I'm like, mom, I'm fine. Like, don't worry about me. You have enough voice on your plate. And I carry this pain with me unnecessary pain for such a long freaking time. I learned that when I share my real challenge, my being authentic and really share what deep inside of me, it actually makes it easier for other people. Mm. So I wish I was brave enough. I wish David of today would go back to David of 10 years old and just go to play soccer together because back then soccer was my life and pass the ball and kind of like, not even asking my younger self to do it, but kind of like share my experience of what I learned, why it's so important to share, just to ease the burden on my mom back then. Mm. I believe if I went to her and told her mom, I'm very sad about the fact that dad passed away and I'm very, I feel sad about seeing how you struggle at times. Mm-hmm. I am going, walking to my sister and, and share grief together rather than taking a different direction that I took. And I think that would be pretty impactful. Back then, I 
what I chose to do is just, I learned how to become a little bit funnier. <laughs> and I started to like, you know, dance in the house and do silly things. And my place to practice was my high school and mm -hmm. my mid school where I made like my classmates laugh, which also got me into fair share of troubles. Again, one of my favorite questions is, uh, if you had the ability to time travel, what would you say to your younger self? Mm, yeah. And say again what you'd say to that 10-year-old boy. Like, what, what would be that? How would you message that while you're playing soccer? I would say, okay, you know, I was very uncomfortable and felt very concerned about sharing this story with my mom. Mm -hmm. because I wasn't sure how she's going to react. But to my surprise, I went and I shared with her that I felt uncomfortable and scared. And she gave me the biggest hug. Mm. And we both cried. And we were on the same team. Mm -hmm. Facing whatever challenges that are going to come upon us, we made an agreement that we are going to go through it together. Mm -hmm. And then little David will say, Really? Wow, I should do that too. Life will never be the same again. Uh. But <laughs> I'm very grateful that uh, I learned this lesson now. Yeah. Talking about, again, being a gratiosity, I'm very grateful I've learned this lesson at some moment of my life. And I inspire our listeners today to go to whoever you feel uncomfortable or ashamed from and tell them, hey, we didn't talk for three years, but I feel very uncomfortable and I feel ashamed and embarrassed that I didn't talk to you. Mm -hmm. You should know that this is how I felt back then and that's why I disappeared. Mm -hmm. I felt angry because I was disappointed in myself. I felt embarrassed because it took me three years to ping you and magic will happen. Mm. Yeah. And that's also, that's resilience. The ability to like really deal with these hard conversations to the point that it's, yes, it's uncomfortable, but there is magic on the other side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I think the fear for so many people and, and for me too, right? When I engage in this work, is that the other person won't take it well. You know, they'll be mad, they'll be mean, they'll hurt my feelings, they won't write back. You know, what is your advice for, for navigating these moments? I have uh, two big mentors in my life. Oh more and uh, that uh, one of them is uh, Jeff Winner and one of them is Carol Robin and the IQ and EQ is just off the chart and Jeff and Carol both told me something similar like they know already mm. like what you think they don't know they know mm. so from a compassionate place and if we care so much about this relationship even if they get hurt or even if they cry, have this conversation. Mm -hmm. Have this conversation. 
maybe you get hurt from mm-hmm. their reaction. Mm-hmm. But if you care for this person, go and have this conversation. Mm. Is it like forgiveness in a way where it's like the conversation is for you even more so than it is for them? I think, I think we are always triggered by things that bother us about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And there's a big element of I'm doing it for me, but not only because if I didn't care for the relationship with this other person, mm-hmm. I will just don't answer my phone call again and just move on with my life. Mm-hmm. So I need to care so much about the, our relationship that I'm going to say this thing that bothers me. Mm. I care so much about you that I'm going to say it. It's a shift in mental model. Right. right. It's a shift in mental model. And I think let's together be resilient and shift this mental model, this humanity consciousness. Hey, mm-hmm. I'm not going, in, instead of like, I'm not going to say it because I'm, potentially will hurt you or I get hurt, but let's change this mental model to, I care so much about you that I'm definitely going to have this conversation with you. Yeah. What's on the other side? Who knows? Yeah. Right. But I value the relationship so much and all of the common experiences that we had together that I'm going to share how I feel. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. You know, um, one of the, biggest gifts I got in my life uh, is I feel very grateful for having the mentors I have in my life. My mom, my sister, my wife, Jeff, Carol, you, and and many, many other people that that were thankful, grateful enough with their time, Mm -hmm. generous enough with their time to share their lessons with me. And somewhere in me, because I uh, my father died when I was 12 and I didn't have this father figure in my life. I always try to find different people that I can learn something from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that made me who I am today. So that's another going full circle about like, what is the moment of my life of adversity? Uh, I'm very grateful for developing this skill of being open and have conversation with people in a way that I can learn from them. Yeah. Mm. you're so remarkable David you're such a shining example of transmuting pain into purpose really thank you it's hard (laughs) it's hard for all of us but uh, you know life is short Mm -hmm. let's put the walk let's not be lazy let's open these doors yeah. This treasure chest we kept inside of inside of us just for ourselves. Let's open them and and yes, it's painful, but again, there is magic magic on the other side. Mm. It's beautiful, so beautiful. I think that's the best we can hope for, and and the best in this case is exceptional, where we get to think take the things that hurt us you know, our grief, our loss, our pain, and, and find a way that we transmute that, that we alchemize that into a meaningful purpose that makes a difference. Yeah. Mm. 
Well, tell us, David, how can we support you on this journey of creating none of not, not single-handedly, we won't say single-handedly, but retooling the, the skills of American workers to prepare for being displaced by technology and, and automation. How, how do we support you and become part of this movement? Now, in the 50s and 70s, trades were a key part of the curriculum in the education system in middle school and high school. And then technology became really cool. Trades have an aged population. They are not supported by technology. And it's almost like a different class where, unfortunately, some people don't treat them in the sense that I know that they should be treated. Mm-hmm. with respect and admiration because they are heroes in our local communities. Mm-hmm. And I would love the listeners' help with making trade school again. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. help me make the trade school again. Let's bring dignity and purpose into the trades together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, go to nanaacademy.org, sign up for Nana Academy. It's free of charge. Let's teach you online how to become tradespeople. Like if anything, like your partner will think it's sexy. <laughs> um, but yeah, learn the trades. And, and when, before I learned the trades, I owned clothing shops. And before that, I owned retail shops in New Jersey. And different stories for a different time, but uh, that was hard as well by itself. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I knew how to make money with my mind and I knew how to make money with my, with my words, but learning how to make money with my hands after I learned the plant super trade really completed the package. It gave me the sense of economic safety that I will carry with me for the rest of my life. Mm. And even if you have kids that are teenagers and you want them to be big executives, I'm an executive today, but I also know how to fix appliances. And I never went to college. Um, And I did pretty well for myself because of... uh, because of the persistence mm. and because of the perseverance and because of the mission. Yeah. So I empower you to spread a word. Follow me on Twitter if you care to follow the journey of an entrepreneur and how to build the, uh, how we built Nana. So go to Twitter and look for David Zamir and follow me. And uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn as well. And just spread a word, please. Like just spread a word. That's uh, all we need. And help me make the trade skills cool again and empower our local communities and inviting more people to become tradespeople and building more heroes that yeah. can help us uh, fix our things when they break. I love it. Let's make the trades cool again. Amen. Let's make the trades cool again. It's like a bumper sticker or something. Hashtag. Woo. Our hashtag is uh, Nana for the tradespeople. There we go. I love that. Well, with that, it's been such a pleasure to drop in and spend this time with you. You're just an exceptional human being, a paragon of resilience. What you have created and accomplished in such a short time is to be admired. And I'm so grateful that you have made this time and your incredibly busy schedule to speak to our audience and to share more about your journey and your resilience. So David, thank you so much. 
Thank you. And if anyone else out there is also like, we are hiring, so join us. If you're engineers, product people, business managers, like we are hiring, hiring, hiring to build the Nana for the people. Mm. So check out uh, nanaacademy.org slash career and join us. Thank you so much for having me. I am so proud of you and all of the work that you put in this. This is a, a very challenging area in life to talk about resilience and really dig out the stories from people. And I couldn't ask for a better person in the world out there to really do this work. Mm. I'm very proud of you. Um, it's a pleasure to follow your journey and uh, well done. And thank you so much for having me. I feel very honored and grateful. Oh, thank you so much. I received that fully and I'm grateful and honored too. Mm. With that, thank you, David. You are amazing. And I'm so grateful that you've been here with us. I hope you enjoyed that incredible interview with David Zamir, founder and CEO of Nana. One thing that's so standing out to me about this interview is how David took the moment of his father's death, the pain that he felt and has transmuted, has alchemized that pain into an enduring and positive purpose. Mm. I love how he walked us through the five practices of particularly resilient people. And I'm particularly still thinking about his idea that no one is truly self-made, that we're all made up through relationships and through one another. Well, tune in next time for the next episode of Flourish or Fold, where well-known people tell their lesser well-known stories of resilience. And please, if you loved this episode, we'd be so delighted if you would share it with your friends, your family members, your dog groomer, your florist, your friendly CVS or pharmacy checkout person. Please share. It's how we get this information in the hands of people to whom it's meaningful. And your referrals mean so much to us. Take care. And until then, it's Dr. Taryn Marie 